Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside, inside and outside of, of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with Cody Barnes. Cody, thanks so much for coming out today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, for my listeners, this is interesting today. Cody Cody got in touch with me. Usually when I bring uh, speakers on or people that, that are going to share, there's, there's something uh, special about them in the recovery community or there's a you know, someplace where they work or there's somehow I've got to, uh, that I've, I've been able to get to know who they are and, and, and bring them on. Cody contacted me and uh, Cody said, you know, I have a, I have a, a testimony about my story. Uh, I want to, I need to share it. I want to share it. I want to be able to help other people. And and uh, again, he's the first one of, of, of all the guests I've ever had. I mean, a lot of people have said, hey, Jim, if you need a speaker, I'm happy to do it. But, but Cody sought me out. I didn't know who he was. Uh, hadn't heard of him before, but uh, I can tell you right now, my, my life is uh, much richer. Uh, and, and I'm much more blessed now that I've just been able to spend uh, this morning with him so far. So, Cody, thanks so much for getting in touch. Uh, man, this is going to be a great day. Hey, so what I'm going to do is I just want you to introduce yourself uh, you know, to, our, to our listeners. And, and um, hey, tell us about your story, and I'm going to interrupt you every once in a while when, when there's something really exciting, and I've got to know more about it. All right, fair enough. Um, I grew up here. Uh, Shaver Lake was my home. That's where I started. And I was a normal kid, you know, just like anybody. I had a blessed uh, parental figures and they loved me unconditionally. I had a brother that was my biggest fan and my best friend. Um, and most people in addiction, they have like a blaming uh, point to where they can identify the trauma. But I really don't see any blame in blaming them at all like I had a good childhood um and then I remember in high school uh, going to my first keg party and having that one foamy beer because no one knew how to tap a keg and just the pure euphoria felt there like I had become myself you know like that's who I wanted to grow up to be like was Jessup Coley and Fast Times at Ridgemont High like that was the character I was trying to form myself into but that's and, and I think, and, and I'm going to interrupt you just yeah. real quick, because that is, is, is such an important part right there. Mm -hmm. You, how many kids were at that first cake party you went to? I mean, a handful, like 30 and. So, so 30 kids at that, of those 30 kids that were at that cake party, who else felt like you did at that minute? How many of those people, and again, it's a mountain community. So, the, I mean, there could be other people that fell into addiction that were there at that party, but. Yeah. But uh, I guess my point is that is that you knew, and this isn't this is not the normal experience for most teenagers. You knew that first drink made you feel normal. I mean, that's an important. Uh, I know that that first drink 
was the moment it all changed for me because that's the first time I can remember not being afflicted with having to have just one more drink. That was the only beer I had that night. That was the only beer that I needed that give me that euphoria and false sense of grandeur that I was an adult now. Wow. I wasn't, you know, but that was the only time I just had one beer. After that, I mean, I'd have a beer and or a shot, and it would make a new man out of me, and he wanted one too. You know, I was uh, pretty amazed by like how blind I was to diving into addiction when I was there. I didn't realize this until recently that that was when it started. How um, how old were you then, Cody? I mean, I was sixteen when okay. alcohol became a thing. I smoked weed at a much younger age. I was thirteen. I like to tell people I was sober for twelve years once, but then I turned thirteen, <laughs> and um, this has been my life ever since. But I'm clean now. Um, but yeah, there was always some sort of substance in the way that was. Uh, clouding me of finding like just normal joy you know like it was Ritalin that I was prescribed at a young age or it was uh, weed alcohol any sort of opiate pill it just grew from there but what happened um, recently that drove me into recovery gratefully was like the hardest experience of my life which was methamphetamines um after high school and that one beer we talked about, it became a normal weekend thing. I had a job. I was functioning. I went to college for a little bit. Um, and I was a functioning addict. I functioned well. I was able to pull the smoke screen over my own face and over my family's. It didn't surface as a problem. But as my sadness grew, you know, I got better at hiding that sadness because I thought that I had no reason to be sad or depressed. So I hid my depression. I hid my hurt with a fake smile, just trying to figure my own stuff out because I didn't realize until recent years that that's exactly what I needed was help. We try to do this by ourselves and try to find reasons to hide depression because we're ashamed of it. Yes. And I did that. And... Then I finally, I, I had taken meth from my cousin and I shamed him for it. And he's celebrating like three years of recovery. I'm very proud, you know. Um, but I was a curious cat and I had done cocaine, been drinking all years of my life. I'm 35 now. Um and I didn't throw it away. I I shelved it. And when I had relapsed off the cocaine, like I said, like I've been trying to do this clean living for a while. And I snorted that. And when I did that, the world as I knew it like changed. Um, the dopamine output that that stuff is correlated to is ridiculous. And it, gives you this false sense of grandeur in a bigger way. You feel 10 feet tall and you're unstoppable almost. It makes you feel like Superman, but it's such a lie. Like if 
if you believe in lies and truths and God and the devil, that stuff's hands down the devil. It it makes ugly things look beautiful, hmm. which is why people like can be okay with living at the homeless street level because that's where I, it brought me. That's where it brought me, and it was okay when I was doing that drug. I wasn't ashamed of it. But when I wouldn't have that drug, the shame came back. Nobody, I've never met anybody that's on that drug that likes it. We love it, but we don't like it. It's like a really Mm. terrible girlfriend that just takes your money and makes you feel like a dirtbag, you know, because that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a temporary relief from suffering living like that it's just pure suffering all the time so what i ended up doing was i i i snorted it for a year like like coffee almost like that was what i did in the morning and and you were still able to function with 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 this during that time you were still able to function at a job and i worked with my father and i was trying to break into another uh avenue of employment with friends um, and it did not work out. It took over. I mean, you, I was able to function. I thought, you know, I thought I was functioning for sure, but that's that false sense of grandeur. Like I wasn't okay. It was a spiral that I didn't see happening. That's, that's what we do. We think that we're okay. I was losing weight and people were starting to point it out and notice that something was wrong with Cody. I said, Oh, I stopped drinking soda. You know, or I was going on a diet and I believed it though. Like I was okay with my answer because I was blind to the fact that I was sick. Like, like you get a cold, you're not healthy, right? Right. Cold, you're not healthy. You get a flu, you're not healthy. You got that germ from someone not washing their hands or they coughed in your direction or you picked your nose when you shouldn't have. Like you get sick. I put this germ inside my body on purpose. And I didn't realize how sick it made me. And it, I didn't have symptoms that were negative at the time, but I was just putting this poison in my body that altered my state of mind to where I didn't recognize how bad my cancer of thought was getting. Because I mm. just kept getting more and more sick. you know. And I, I finally got caught by family and friends. Like, and they had been trying to get me to admit it for months. So so they knew that they knew that something was going on. They were aware. Yeah, they were aware. I mean, I thought that I was pulling this you know, I only ever really lied about one thing and that was smoking meth. And then I got caught and I'd lie about smoking meth, but I I slowly would admit it and I admitted I needed help. So that's when I started going to programs or trying to put myself in a IOP um, because I didn't want to do it. Tell everybody what IOP is in in case case they don't know. It's an intense outpatient program, which I recommend if I I recommend any sort of help. Right. And and just so people, so people understand that aren't familiar with all the, with all the recovery jargon, Mm -hmm. there's, there's different levels. Oftentimes when someone goes in for an evaluation, yeah. Right. They go in for an evaluation. 
there will be a recommendation from the evaluator mm-hmm. that, that either calls for um, IOP, which would be an outpatient, which is oftentimes, what, like three to four days a week that you go in for a, for a couple of hours or something like that. Yeah. Then there's, there's also um, the next level up, up from that, uh, from the, from the outpatient would be an inpatient, mm-hmm. uh, a type of a type of a setting. And then the, then the area that's even up from that would be the medical detox area. So which is PHP partial hospitalization, partial hospital program. Yeah. So, and that's where you still go in every day, but then you would, then Mm. you would go back home or go to a sober living home. Yeah. So it's not quite as intense as the outpatient. And then there's the, the full inpatient where you are in a facility, uh, you're in a home, you're in a treatment uh, place 24 seven. I've done all avenues. I've tried all avenues. Um, it wasn't until I went to the dual diagnosis is what uh, was successful for me. I went to a dual diagnosis place in Sacramento. And so, uh, again, for people who don't know, dual diagnosis means that they treat uh, they treat your level of addiction and also any mental health issues, yeah. like depression or... Depression, schizophrenia, ADHD. I mean, they give you coping skills to be able to deal with life on life's terms without having to feel a need to run away back into your drug of choice. Cause that was a coping skill for me was do drugs. And, and, and to be honest, I think a lot of people, uh, they, they always wonder, and especially with adolescence, but, but I, but even, even with other people, it's, it's hard to determine what came first. Was there, what was there a, a mental health issue? That came first because I know with with my son, when he was smoking a lot of weed before he was addicted to opioids, mm-hmm. I remember talking to his psychiatrist and his psychologist, and they said, "Well, you know, Jim, he's self medicating." That that's the that's exactly the, what it was. The, was that's self medication. Yeah, so he was you know he was doing his best to get you know he was doing his best to get healthy, the the best that a fifteen year old could figure out how to do. Yeah, exactly you know, for himself. So so in his case, I think the mental illness precluded uh you know his his addiction yeah uh, but but i know that there's some people that say no i never had any issues at all man i just started using and then but then uh, when you use for a long period of time it can change the way that you think about things and it can have an effect on your on your psyche and your mental health as well which is why there's always a necessity again for a dual diagnosis uh, facility and some people focus on that and they are they're able to do counseling for whatever the for whatever the mental health issue is, and they're able to also work in the uh, in the addiction issue as well. Absolutely, and I think the both both sides coincide always. I I believe one hundred percent that everyone has a struggle with mental illness, not an illness, but just mental health. You know, we strive to find joy. We run into things that we don't agree with or that we don't like. We all have some sort of trauma. We've all tripped and stubbed our toe for heaven's sakes. Like, like life isn't perfect, but coping with the things that we don't like, we, we find outlets. Like we go whack a ball, uh, a bucket of balls at the golf course, or we go for a jog just to find our center. And not everyone has been gifted that healthy outlet, you know? Right. And right. So I myself am an instant gratification type of person. If I want something, I want it right now. And if I'm sad and wanted to feel good, I would do a line of cocaine 
Or if I was sad and I wanted to feel good, or if I was tired after a day of work, I'd crack a beer and I'd drink six of them. Um, it was always an instant gratification type of thing for me. I never wanted to put in the work to feel joy. I just wanted to feel that right away. And drugs were the quickest way to accomplish that, which isn't right. It's not a right way to go about it. And it led me down a dangerous, dangerous road. Um, I got so. Oh, so anyway, so let's go back because I took you off track. You yeah, said yeah. you had just you had just entered into a program, a dual diagnosis. Yeah. No, that was the last one. That was oh, the okay. one that worked for me that brought me here. So I've I've been to seven seven different uh, programs all the way from here to Orange County. Um, I got eighty six for most of them because of behavioral issues. Because in my addiction, I found myself to be very suicidal. Um, and I preface that that's never okay. Like reach out. Like if you're ever feeling anybody listening, like if you're ever feeling like you are lacking words to express to anybody how sad you are, cause that I wasn't threatening suicide to my family. That's how it sounded, but I was just trying to come up with words to show them how sad I was. I was so sad that I wanted to die. I did not want to live this life anymore doesn't mean I didn't want a life. I just don't like this one that I'm in. Right, know, I was very right. unsatisfied with it, and I didn't see an exit out. So what had happened was I, I went to go into a program called Teen Challenge, and that was a year-long program, and I had gotten maybe a week into that, and I was sober, but I, I have a really defiant personality, or I just can't. I didn't surrender. I didn't I didn't admit yet that I didn't know what I was doing and I still don't. I still don't know what I'm doing. But I'm taking guidance now. So what I did was I left and I sold my truck and I ran away to Maui. I ran away. And I thought I'd just Well, and people are going to think, "Hey, if you got to run away someplace." Yeah, well, Hawaii is not a bad place. Yeah, I know it was great at first. <laughs> I loved it at first. Um, but I didn't realize I went there cuz I thought that no drugs, no drama. I just hit my reset button. Maybe I'd start a new life there or at least decompress, you know? So you were going to do this on your own. You've been to Teen Challenge a week. Yeah. I got I, this. I'm just going to go to Hawaii. And exactly. I'll, I don't know, know anybody there. I'm not going to have a drug problem there. Exactly. That's what I thought, you know, but that's not the truth because there's more. Because there's drugs in Hawaii? There's more <laughs> There's more dope per square foot out there than there is here. It's it's really it's everywhere, really. Like I I was I was silly enough and ignorant enough to think that there could be a place that just didn't have drugs, so I couldn't get it if I wanted it. But that's just not true. Um, so I got taken to the school of hard knocks out there. I I I like to think that it was my first rehab program that was successful because it taught me to absolutely hate what that drug does to paradise. It made it a living hell for me. Just my life revolving around that substance was the hardest job I've ever had. Hmm. Like being homeless in Hawaii is the hardest job I've ever had because it was nonstop. You did not get to clock in or out. You couldn't afford any of the things that you needed. You had no house to pay for. I had no money in my pocket. Um, I had gotten hit by a truck out there when I was there and I lost my wallet and my phone and I couldn't get a job if I wanted to. And I was 
not wanting to because I was in my addiction. Um, I couldn't fly home. I couldn't get my family's trust to even help me because I was so bad, like, after the seven rehabs and the suicides. And I got in some trouble out here, high-speed chases. Just I did not want the cops to catch me. My parents would call in all the f- suicidal threats because they didn't know what else to do. They right. couldn't help me. They tried right. so hard to give me the love I was asking for, but I just was so sick with depression and that drug that I just pushed everybody away as far as I could. My ex-girlfriend, bless her heart, she tried and my father tried the most to like, hey, dude, we're here still. We can't tell you any louder. We're trying to help you. But I just couldn't hear anybody trying to love me, you know, because I didn't love myself at all. So Hawaii, like, was my runaway point. I pushed everyone as far away as I could. I put an ocean in between us. And that's who I was calling when I needed help still, you know. I I, I took myself away from them. I kidnapped myself, essentially. Um, And still was trying to get them to bring me back and love me. Mm. But I wasn't lovable at that point. Like, I had faked my death. I, oh, my. Yeah, I I became a missing person kind of on purpose um, and stayed missing because I thought that if they remembered the good things about me in my death, that they'd be happy when I came home and all would be lost. And just, like, clear, clean slate, you know. Like, oh, he's alive, yay. Like, But no, they were really upset that I made them feel those emotions. Sure, sure. Like, I see that now. You know, that's not what I saw then. I thought it was a grand idea, and it wasn't. Um, but finally, like, just spiraling the drain out in Hawaii, I was getting in a lot of fights. I was getting beat up daily, you know, uh, just in that lifestyle. I, I finally got home, which was like a whole other story in itself. Um, And I found out that, that my daughter had gone to Connecticut with her mom, which was a very heartbreaking thing, but I'm proud of her for stepping in when I stepped out. Like my kid has a great mom and I've never worried about her this whole time. You know, there's been no worry that my daughter's okay. I know she's okay, but I finally had enough with that truth, you know, because all my worst nightmares had come true at that point. You know, I lost everything. So I checked myself in. I finally gave up and realized I can't do this by myself. I need help. I am a drug addict. I am a lost soul. I am exactly what everybody has been saying that I am. I became a lying, manipulative criminal. Cody and and you shared with me a a, a picture of yourself in, yeah. in your in your addiction, and I have to say it's it's one of the most dramatic. You are unrecognizable. Yeah, I to I, to, to me now. I mean, there there is absolutely z- nothing in that picture that relates to what I see sitting across the the, the table from me, and. And what's amazing to me is, is as you've told your story, you said you came to a realization and it's just to see how far that that had to come for you to see that 
you, you know. Yeah. And and then and thank goodness that once you did see it, you were. The, the, then, but then, I, I, and again, you shared a little more in depth about about your story with me, and just about the the tragedy and what you had to go through to be able to to get back. And sometimes when you're when you pushed everybody away for so long, even to the point of of uh, of, of going missing, yeah, right. And you you pushed yourself away so long, and you've you've built up these you know walls between people. Now you've got a lot of work to do. To, 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 to tear those walls down and to reconnect. The only thing is, is you've given people all the reason in the world to never trust you or to not believe in you. Absolutely. I, I have done nothing in past years to encourage anybody to believe a word that I'm saying. Like, and the sad thing is it's, it's a total Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde drug. Um, all drugs are honestly like they, it, I didn't realize what I had turned into and it took me pushing everybody away until it was just me. Cause at that point I had nobody else to blame. I had nobody else to blame for the predicament that I was in. And in that moment I realized that all my bad choices, some of them were just the lesser of two evils. And I thought I was making a good choice, right? But it still wasn't a good direction. You know, it took me realizing that I had nobody else to blame and I never had anybody else to blame from the beginning. I should have never done that drug for the first time because it it sunk its claws into me and it was really hard to let that go because when everyone was mad at me, that was my only friend, you know? It was a really terrible friend to have. But when everyone didn't want to be my friend because I wasn't a good friend at the time, which I don't blame them for not wanting to be my friend, I wasn't that friendly. Right. That one was my only friend, and it was a hamster wheel that I found myself on that was really hard to get off of, especially being suicidal, you know. Like, I would crash off of this come down, off this cloud nine of false love and grandeur to a reality. Once I came back down to reality, like, I lost everything. I had every reason in the world to be sad, but... I don't want to die. You know, I don't want to stop living. I don't want to leave this as an ending to my story. Right. And right. So, so now, so now take us through. So now you've now, now you are in full awareness, but you don't know how to, you, you don't know what to do, but so you, so you, you enter into this, to, to your so I, last program. Yeah, so I go into the dual diagnosis place and I did something that I've never done before. I listened. I, I took in what they were saying and even if I felt like they didn't know what they were talking about, I listened anyway. And I, I dove into the homework and I also started like engaging in conversations about therapy and stuff and where my head was at. And I started to realize that, yeah, that first rehab was right. You know, the very first one I went to that I disagreed with and I thought they were wrong and didn't know what they were talking about. And I was special in some way that I could rise above this drug on my own. And, you know, I'm Cody Barnes. Like you guys don't know, but they did. They knew exactly what they were talking about. And now how long bef between your first rehab and then this, 
the the last one? This has been about a three-year battle. Okay. Three years, and I have somewhere around almost um, one month short of six months, maybe. Um, so, so and, and let me just, uh, again, for now, now I want to address families out there right now that, that have loved ones that are, that are in their process now. They're in their, they're going through treatment. They've been to one rehab or two rehabs or half a dozen. That's already there. Uh, there's a young man sitting across from me who's, whose process has been over three years and that was three years from the beginning of the point where, where, where he entered his first program. Not, not three years from the beginning of, of his of, of his addiction behavior, but just from, but, but just from when he's been working on on getting better, mm-hmm. right? And so it's been three years. But so it's not something that happens overnight. And people, I think that's that's something that people miss. Cody, that's something that I missed. I can tell you the first time that when Zach went through his first medical detox. I believed he was fixed because he was clean because mm-hmm. he hadn't used in 14 days. Well, and who would want to be like that? I mean, of course he, he should just w- w- want to be better. I had, I had no awareness at that point in my life that, that again, he had developed into the, 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 the way he developed into something I didn't recognize took a couple of years, yeah. a process. And it wasn't going to be fixed overnight, and I, I couldn't even. And even though the the treatment uh, place where he was was telling me that, I couldn't even comprehend it because I didn't understand. Uh, my understanding of addiction was, you know, you use, you're an addict, and then when you stop, you have, and then now you have a choice. You just choose to be sober. Yeah, it's not as easy. <laughs> it's as easy as a choice. For sure, but it's not as easy as a choice. Yeah. Um, hey, so so anyway, I I mean I just I want people to understand that 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 your that your progress took time. It took time for you to get to that point where you were all of a sudden able to say, you know what, I'm ready to listen. And yeah. now and now the work just begins. Yeah. No, I'm barely uh, I'm barely scratching the surface on this. I I know that this is what I want. It's what I've wanted from the beginning, but I never knew how to get here. And I went to seven places that were trying to tell me how to get here. And now I'm here and I can honestly say, I do not know what I'm doing, but I do know what I'm being told I should try. Like as far as my healing goes, as far as direction goes, as far as working a program. And there's plenty of programs out there that will accommodate different personality types as well. So like, do not give up. If one rehab for anybody listening doesn't work, it doesn't mean you failed that rehab. You just found one that didn't work for you. Don't beat yourself up. Keep reaching out. Well, my guess is they call it rehab. Just, I mean, I think when most people think of, of a rehabilitation facility, mm-hmm. you, you know, you've been in a bad accident, you, you know, you've, you've, you've got to learn to rewalk or you got to learn. I mean, it takes work. Yeah, it's hard. Exactly. It's not a vacation. No, it's not a vacation. <laughs> it's it's a place where you stop and you let your bruises heal, your mental bruises, your physical bruises at times, depending on your situation. I mean, you need time to decompress. If you're deep, if you're depressed, I mean, you need deep rest. Like, it's take advantage of the time 
to pause all the chaos, you know, and be in still water for a minute so that you can realize what you've done, reflect on it. Don't dwell in it because that's just going to keep you sick mentally. But reflect, look at what you were doing. I looked at what I was doing and what didn't work and won't, won't ever work again. You know, well, and, was, and you had been tormenting your body, your mind, and your soul for years in, yeah. a, in, a, in a very traumatic way, as, as a lot of people you know, as, as a lot of people in, in their addiction do, you had lost family and friends and everything. And so even though now that you're, you're in a safe place and you're ready to start work on yourself, that's, that's a lot of shit that I left to, 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 to to have to come to terms with. Right. I, I, I mean, and I think that happens a lot I tell us often, you know, once Zach started to, uh, I believe, realize that he had an issue. Well, now, you know, here's a, here's an 18 year old who now has to deal with the consequences of a DUI. You know, here's someone that has to deal with the consequences of, you know, of the broken relationships, you know, that, that are in, and, and he was just not, you know, he had just been on this path a short time. You had been, You've been screwing things up for years. Yeah, no, I have been screwing <laughs> things up for years. And the sad part too is if you like get as deep as I did in addiction, your consequences are your actions. And then your actions being your consequences also cuz all my actions hurt me physically and mentally and they also left behind consequences on a bigger scale, a family scale. Like I hurt a lot of people. I didn't do it intentionally. But that's the sad part. They're still hurt. I didn't hurt my mom or my dad on purpose because I was mad at them. I was just blind to the fact that my actions affect everybody. It's a ripple effect. I was dropping pebbles in this lake that was my home. And, of course, it created waves. And those waves were big. And I affected a lot of people in a negative way. Well, I've I've heard of a lot of, especially with, with young people, in sitting in, in meetings with them, I've heard a lot of people say, especially early on, you know, hey, I'm just hurting myself. I'm not affecting anybody else. But there were a lot of young people that when at, at, uh, at my son's passing, you know, that had been in, in treatment with him, you know, told me that they realized the impact they were having on their family. Mm-hmm. It's just something they, and, and you think, you think, hey, I'm just hurting me leave me alone. This is my own business. Yeah. But, but we do affect other people. Uh, the good things we do and the painful things we do, you know, uh, the love that we feel for people, uh, is equal to the pain that we feel when, when the negativity happens. So, so we do affect, we do affect other people and that, that awareness has to be a heavy burden also. It is my biggest regret or like guilt. I I think I have is, putting myself on the news as a missing person or getting myself to that point in my addiction. I thought that it was like a surprise birthday party. I was setting up, you know, like, Oh, I'm going missing. And then I'm going to pop up. You're like, Oh, surprise. Just kidding. Aren't you happy to see me? Cause I was so sick. And like, that's a stupid way to look at that. That is a sick, sick thought, but that's what I thought it was going to be like. But now in my sobriety, I'm realizing like I had to make my parents and my friends think I was dead. Like they, oh. they mourned me. 
Like they let go of the fact that I was ever going to hug them again. And I took that from them. Like, and that is hard for me to grasp still. Like I get, and I'm back though, you know, and I, I understand like for people to wrap that around their heads that I was gone and I'm back, of course they're not going to believe that I'm back and consistent in this. I'm still learning how to be consistent in this. This is a struggle daily, which is why I'm listening to advice given. This is why I'm on this podcast is to make sure that people understand that you can't give up on yourself and you can't stop trying because you will find something that will bring you success. I, I, I'm clean today and I feel really good about it. Do I understand that relapse is a possibility? Yes. Which is why I'm still working at it. You know, so I could have just stopped doing it. I don't want to do it. I could have just gone back out in the real world and that is not how to stay where I'm at. So Cody talk, talk as, as we wind things down here today, talk a little bit about what the last six months have been like for you in your process. What are some of the things, if you feel comfortable telling me, what are some of the things that you're doing, uh, you know, to, to, to stay clean and that you're also doing though, just to, uh, just to build yourself back to, to that place that you were before. Right. I mean, you know, physically in relationships with people, with your family, with your jobs. Yeah. Just talk about that a little bit. So in my recovery and what I'm, finding helpful for myself, uh, you know, this might not be good for everybody, but I, I try to read a lot. Um, cause that gives me, uh, no false impressions like TV. I think it's poisonous to the recovering mind. Don't watch TV. Brother is poisonous to all of our minds. Exactly. <laughs> but especially to the recovering mind, cause it gives you fairy tales don't exist like that. You know, if, if you're going through trauma or recovering from trauma, drugs or alcohol or just trauma in general don't watch tv read some books there's awesome stuff in every book you pick up i also got really cautious about what i put in my body i've been putting a lot of poisonous stuff in my body and if we are what we eat we're also what we consume you know and i think a healthy mind is wrapped around a healthy diet i've been trying my best to eat right um stay away from junk foods uh that way i Again, a great message, not just for people in recovery, but for all of us. Yeah, yeah, because um, the like sugars in the reward center we had talked about earlier, like it's the same output, but you can get all the same rushes from smoking a joint or doing a line of cocaine. It just takes more time to get that same euphoria. You know, go for a jog, uh, read a book, go look at the sunset. Like this whole existence was wrapped around releasing those chemicals that exist naturally in our brain, you know, dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, like that's all in there already. All drugs do is like release it too quick because we're instant grad people, you know, put some work in. And I'm trying to retrain my thinking into putting the work in to get those reward uh, chemicals for my brain to let go. So I I try to read, uh, at least, you know, 20 pages a day out of any given book. Um, stay away from the TV. 
because uh, your diet isn't just what you eat. It's what you watch, who you hang out with, who you choose to idolize, you know? Like, you got to watch your entire diet. Um, so I mm. watch my entire diet. Um, I also just don't, I don't have any expectations anymore. Um, I don't expect anything to turn out a certain way because nothing I've ever done it has turned out like I expected. Even things I was proud of, you know, like a painting that I had in my head or uh, an idea for like a bicycle trail, like nothing in life ever turns out 100% how you expect it. So I'm trying to not have any expectations for the future. That way I'm not disappointed at all. And I'm going to find joy in however it unfolds. That's really hard to do. And it's a little. Um, well, again, an, another great lesson, not just for people in, in recovery, Cody, but yeah, I think, I think for, for all of us, uh, learning how to, to just li- live in this moment and accept it for what it is. That's really all we have is this moment. Like, right. like the past is just my memory. And I remember dreams and actual real events kind of the same when I recall them, you know, like they were things that I've learned from some I enjoyed, some I didn't. And the future is really just our imagination, you know, what we think is going to happen when the car we want or the job we think we're going to have, but nothing turns out exactly like that. So yeah, no, you said it beautifully living in this moment is all we have because tomorrow never, you don't wake up and go, Hey, thank God it's tomorrow. No, you say, thank God it's today because today is all we are gifted. So take advantage of that. You know, that's why they say in a lot of programs one day at a time, because that's all we can do. That's all we can do is deal with today and everything, you know, let tomorrow worry about itself. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow anymore. Like I just let tomorrow worry about itself. I deal with today today I'm clean and I'm happy there's things I could be sad about but why why choose that you know because we do have a choice but be sad appropriately feel all your feelings and then find something choose something to be happy about you know wow Cody as I as I've listened to you share your story and and talk about where you're at now and 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 where you've came from and, and and what you've come through you really seem to be in a great place right now, and and uh, the the way your your way your mind is thinking. And I know that, and I know in that you're just at the beginning of your of of your process. Yeah, I'm right? I'm brand new in it. I do not have a year clean. I uh, am striving for that. I mean, I have a direction. You know, I, I say don't have expectations, but have goals. Sure, you sure. Have a direction you were going. You know, and. And if that direction ends up being not a good one, like we can change direction. That's the cool part about it. Like having lost everything was a beautiful experience. Like I could, I could hate the experience, which I mean, parts I wish I never had gone through, but I went through them. But there's a lot of beautiful lessons that I, I learned. Like you can start all the way over. You know, I, I got back to California from Hawaii. I had two t-shirts and a pair of shorts and that was it. And now I have a job and a car and a direction towards a happier life. I mean, I started all the way over, but it can be done. You know, you just have to stay positive because I think 
I think if you stay positive inside any situation, even if it's a terrible situation, just know 100% in your heart that it's going to be better the next minute. It's going to keep getting better the next minute. And if you strive to be better as a person than you were the minute before, that's exactly what happens. You know, you start to gain more of an empathy for yourself because people claim to have empathy towards other people, but we don't have enough empathy towards ourselves, you know? And wow. Cody, that's see that. What a, what a, what a beautiful message that is right there. That's what I want our that's what I want our listeners to, to remember. Cause, cause you, you build up some momentum. Yeah. It, right. And it's just being, I, I love that. Just, just being just a little bit better tomorrow than today. Just, yeah. just a little bit, not talking radical changes. Making those Small just build, building on those little wins every single day, and and having it better. That is just uh, that, that's that's awesome, Cody. I want to thank you for for coming on today and Absolutely. and uh, and sh- and sharing with us. Um, I want to invite you to come back, and I mean, so so you're coming up on on six months clean now. Come back and see us at a at a year or a year and a half or two years, and and let's let's stay in touch because uh, again, you're the you're the first person who's reached out that says, hey, I want to. I want to share where I'm at and, and I'd like for, for, for people to be in touch with you and, and to, to see the kind of uh, continual uh, uh, progress that happens for you. Absolutely. And if anyone who listens to this wants to talk to me, you can feel free to give them my information. I would love to talk to anybody. Um, So, so, so let's do that. I I have, I have all of Cody's information so you can, um, you can, uh, shoot me a text or an email. Uh, you can find us at uh, ZacharyHortonFoundation.org. That's ZacharyHortonFoundation.org. And you can uh, shoot me an email and I can get a hold of, uh, of Cody. Or if, if you go to our website, you'll find my phone number there also. And you can just shoot me a text and, and then I'll put you right in touch with Cody. That'll be, uh, that'll be cool. So uh, as always, uh, today I'm going to remind you to reach out To someone you know, let them know that you love them. This is Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.